Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. From the offices of Create and Cultivate, I'm Jacqueline Johnson, and this is Work Party, a podcast for women who are redefining the meaning of work on their own terms. This season, we're bringing in leading female powerhouses to take a deep dive into the topics that matter most to you. Technology, money, marketing, entrepreneurship, you name it, we're covering it all. Tune in every Wednesday for career, real talk, and BS-free advice from the best in the biz. Ready to create and cultivate the career of your dreams? Well, welcome to Work Party, the podcast. Last year, burnout touched almost 50% of the workforce. Staggering statistics, right? It's so bad, even the World Health Organization labeled it as an occupational phenomenon. It's little wonder self-care is an $11 billion industry. We're all trying to bring back some kind of balance and harmony into our lives. But right now, burnout seems inescapable, thanks to the rise of the digital always-on culture. The time we spend attached to our devices is growing, and we're working harder than ever before and around the clock. Sonia Rasula is very familiar with this pattern. She spent most of her 20s climbing the corporate ladder at Fortune 500 companies, managing big teams, and handling million-dollar budgets. But all that came to a crashing halt when she found herself in a state of emotional, physical, and mental exhaustion. She knew she was missing something. So she moved across the country to start all over again with zero contacts and no job prospects. But she put her optimism to the test and turned it all around, forging her own creative path. Now she's been building an empire with unique markets and the unique space, some of the most trendy experiences and spaces in the city. But of course, her journey there was anything but linear. Sonia has experienced her fair share of twists, turns, and dead ends, one of those being the recent COVID-19 shelter-at-home order. And in this episode, we discuss her pivot and strategy for moving forward post-pandemic, her tips and advice for bootstrapping a business, and why taking risks is the key to success. So let's get right into it. So welcome, Sonia, to the show. I'm so excited to have you. Um, we have known each other for a very long time, and I have looked up to you, you know, personally and professionally as an entrepreneur here in the Los Angeles community. But for those of our listeners who maybe aren't as familiar, um, I want to start at the beginning. So you were born and bred Angelina, growing up in Echo Park. So talk to us a little bit about how LA helped shape your childhood, how it shaped you as an entrepreneur, and how, how it shaped you as a person. Yeah. Well, um, Echo Park is now very like trendy and cool, but when I was growing up in Echo Park, uh, it was kind of looked down on by 
the rest of Los Angeles. It's a very eclectic, ethnically diverse neighborhood. It's filled with hills that are also filled with coyotes and lots of wildlife. So it's not your typical version of what people tend to think of when they think Los Angeles. So I think the fact that it was so diverse and wild definitely has translated to who I am as a person and definitely what I decided to do with my life. I feel like Echo Park was definitely and still is in many ways the underdog of the city. And so I think culturally, I have always carried this badge of honor of being an underdog. And I think, you know, being someone who is mixed ethnicity and someone who grew up surrounded by all different types of people and cultures, I think that is something that I also wear very proudly. Um, and I've definitely brought that into all the work that I do now. Absolutely. And so tell us a little bit about your mid-20s because I've known you as an entrepreneur for as long as I can remember, (laughs) but you actually worked for Fortune 500 companies, managing big teams, all sorts of things. So can you tell us about that experience and how that also kind of helped you into, you know, for laying that into being an entrepreneur? Yeah, it's it's so funny because I have lived such a different life life, but my life in LA has been very like entrepreneurial. But when I lived in Toronto, Canada, I was definitely just another rat in the the rat race. Um, And I worked for a number of Fortune 500 companies. Essentially, what I did was I created and masterminded the websites for all of these huge media companies. And so For many, many years, I worked in the corporate world and really thrived in that world, actually. Um, But I definitely learned a lot about what I loved about it and a lot of what I did not like about it. So what did you love and what did you not like? And then can you tell (laughs) us about how you got through that experience? You ended up moving back to California to have this fresh start. So tell us a little bit about what was going through your head during that time. Yeah, well... So first, the things that I love about working for large companies are, I think, all of the benefits and not just like health and dental, but (laughs) the benefits of being surrounded by so many people, um, which also has many downfalls, of course, things take a lot longer to get done. But I think that for someone who is very social, working in a large corporation was always great because there are so many different smart, talented people around you. And so there was always something new to learn. And there was always someone that you could um, get mentored by and different departments that you could learn from. So I think that's what I loved about being in a corporate environment. Of course, what I hated about it was that there's just so much politics. Everything takes forever to get done because a thousand people have to sign off on things. And I think that that was something from a creative perspective, I'm a very creative person. And I think for me, creativity is hard in corporations. It's hard to be innovative and it's hard to be of the moment. And so that started to really wear me down. (laughs) And I think also what I realized was I was making a ton of money for other people. And I think that at the end of the day is what finally helped me realize that I wanted to do something 
for myself um, and really take ownership so that all my time and energy was going into something that I actually owned. And so eventually what happened was my late 20s, I kind of burned out from the tech online world and I moved to Los Angeles. I moved back to Los Angeles and it's been great ever since then. But yeah, it took a lot of courage to make that move for sure. Yeah. I always say, you know, with entrepreneurs, like I think part of it, and we have a very similar story in that we moved to cities, not knowing anyone, not having any contacts or connections, and you kind of just figure it out. Um, so tell us about getting to Los Angeles and what you started to do from there. Yeah. So exactly like you, obviously I read your entire story in work party. So I literally moved to a, a different country and had zero contacts. And it's funny how when you've worked for big companies and and you've held a high position, I was senior management in my mid-20s. And so I didn't know anything except success. And I think it was very eye-opening. It was very gutsy to to move to a new city and not know anyone or have any contacts, but it was also very eye-opening. And so I realized very quickly that Los Angeles is one of those cities where you really need to know someone in order to even get your foot in the door. And I didn't have a community and nothing like Create and Cultivate existed back then. And so there wasn't even a way for me to to even find a community to start to network with. So it was definitely an eye-opening experience. It was great at the beginning because I was just like, oh, I'll just go to the beach again oh, I'll go to the farmer's market today. I'll, I'll hike in Malibu today. But eventually I realized that I needed to work and I needed to get a job and I needed to meet people. We all know your business is more than the goods you sell or the services you provide. It's truly the heart of the economy, which is why I'm teaming up with MasterCard to support entrepreneurs and small business owners by sharing my tips and advice to help their business like how creative businesses can help their communities flourish. As the leader of a creative business, there are magnitudes of ways you can enhance the lives of your consumers beyond just the initial sale of your product or your service. Incorporating a social good element into your business is one great way to do that. And we know social good is a buzzword right now, but truly it's something that you can incorporate in your business from the start that will have leaps and bounds effects, not only on your company and your revenue, but the community and audience you're growing. For you, maybe that's donating a portion of your proceeds to providing medical equipment during National Nurses Week. Or if you're a social media first business, encouraging your audience to share photos of how they're using their reusable grocery bags on Earth Day. The options are endless. And another tip, which Crane Coldway has been leaning into lately, is to use digital platforms like Instagram or Zoom and the expertise of those in your professional network to educate your consumers. More than ever, people are looking for advice and counsel and counsel to really help them get through this period of time. If you have access to experts or you yourself are an expert, leverage that and bring that to life through a virtual chat, through blog posts, through tips and tricks, whatever you can do to provide that resource to your audience, it is important to be constantly adding value. 
For us, we've sourced experts to host virtual sessions on the topics that matter most to our career-first audience, whether that's how to promote your business during a pandemic, how to talk about money with your significant other, how to stay productive while working from home, and so many more. Many consumers are craving a sense of community right now, especially as we all stay at home. And as business owners, it's on us to think through the creative ways to bring that to them. I know how challenging it can be when you're overwhelmed and trying to make sure your business is not just surviving, but thriving in this COVID-19 environment. But make time to think about your audience and community and the value that you can provide. Value always wins and people want to feel like they're being taken care of during this time. So if you're looking for more ideas or more tools and resources, go to mastercard.us slash Main Street Recovery. That's mastercard.us slash Main Street Recovery. There is so much information and so much valuable insights that MasterCard has that they're giving to you. Take advantage of that right now. That's mastercard.us slash Main Street Recovery. Because together, we can start something priceless. So in December 2008, you launched Unique Market. Can you tell us about the beginning of launching this business, how you came about the idea? Because I think for so many people, the idea is easy. The execution is hard. So can you tell us a little bit about how you came to be and like how you started to launch this business? Yeah, absolutely. So I think like so many other entrepreneurs that we know, I created something that I wanted. I created something that I felt was missing from the market. I did not have a job. So all I had was time on my hands and I was driving across the city. And for those of you listening, Los Angeles is a very sprawling city. And so to get from like one area to another could take you an hour and a half. So I was sitting in my car and I was trying to get to a small shop in Venice to buy a gift for my best friend. And I remember sitting in traffic and just thinking, why is this so hard I wish malls were cooler because then I could go to one place and purchase a bunch of different things for her birthday, but malls aren't cool. So slowly during that car ride, the idea of coming up with a giant alternative to the mall popped into my head. And I started thinking like, okay, well, would it be temporary? Would it, you know, are you going to find a space and just fill it with stores? Like, what does this look like? And I slowly during that drive started to come up with this idea for Unique Markets. And I honestly, from the time that I thought about it, I I mean, I did it right away. I just started to execute, started to research, and then launched a few months later. I think that's such a specific staple to entrepreneurs is like, you just do it. Like you don't think (laughs) you just go, you just do. And I think, I think that's what makes you so successful. So with unique markets, can you tell us what it is, um, what it's kind of grown to be? Cause it has been around for over 12 years now. It's shaped and taken on different forms, I'm sure. And then tell us a little bit, you know, about how you found all these amazing makers, designers, because you really became the center of that community and really brought everyone together which is a challenging thing to do. So can you tell us a little bit about what Unique is today? Yeah. So when I started Unique Markets 12 years ago, um, essentially what we do, and what we do is very similar. It's it's essentially the same thing from 2008 to now. Um, What we do is we create giant pop-up marketplaces and, 
and they are held in indoors in really cool, architecturally beautiful environments. So in Los Angeles, we do it in downtown Los Angeles in a penthouse of a giant building. We've held them in New York, San Francisco, Austin, Seattle, Boston, all over the country. And essentially what we do is we curate hundreds of independent designers, artists, and emerging brands into a space for one weekend. And then we invite the public to come shop. So we are essentially creating what I like to call a very modern, cool alternative to a mall. We have everything from food um, to jewelry, to fashion, to furniture design. So anything that you can think of that you would want to buy, we've got it. And we've curated all these great small business owners into one into one space. That model is still what we do today. But over the years, as you've mentioned, yeah, we've expanded, we've gone into, you know, cities all over the country. Um, And then we also started doing conferences and educational um, opportunities for all of these small business owners across the country who, you know, like me, when I started, have an idea, go for it. But then realize like, oh shit, I don't know anything about accounting or I don't really know what, how to even register my business. So we've started to offer those educational um, opportunities for them as well. Amazing. And you have the foresight, like you're in touch with all these brands, all these small brands, you're hearing their problems, what's working, what's not working, and you're able to kind of move from there. But one of the things I want to talk about is for you specifically, like you're obviously going out and mentoring these businesses, but did you have a mentor through this process? Um, And do you recommend that business owners find mentors along the way? Yeah, I think once again, your story and my story are very similar. Um, And I know that we've talked about this before. I did not really have a mentor. Again, I think that... So when I started the business, it was 2008. And I think that there weren't really networks available then, to be perfectly honest. So I felt like I just needed to do it alone. I didn't realize that there might be people out there who would want to help me. And because I had moved to a new city, all the people that I would have probably gotten mentorship from were in Toronto. So I think that at the time that I started my business, I just pushed forward um, and didn't look back. However, (laughs) I, yeah, I mean, I'm a huge advocate of mentorship. I think that if I had had a mentor, there were a lot of mistakes that I probably would have not made and could have saved myself a lot of time and money. I do think that mentorship in the way that everyone tends to think about it, which is you having one person, that person is usually much older and wiser and they, you know, they're probably like a vice president at a company. I don't think that that version of mentorship is what people need. I think that going to events like Create and Cultivate and finding a support group within your peers is, in my opinion, really, really smart. And it seems weird to say that because I, you know, the idea for a mentor is that they're this, this wise person who can give you all of this advice. I think that you can get a lot of that advice online and you can read articles and watch YouTube videos. The information is out there. I think that often what people really need, at least in my opinion, when thinking about mentorship, 
um, is a support group of people who are going through the exact same things that you're going through at the same time that you're going through them. Because I think that if you're all going through the same things, like looking for a good lawyer, looking for a good accountant, trying to build your websites at the same time, I think that you, at that point, have a lot more value as a group and can support one another. Um, and I think that that will help your business thrive. But I also think it sets you up for the future because this kind of support group becomes a very tight-knit community. And as each of you grow, then you all succeed and grow even more together. Totally agree. And yes, I think in the early days of you know the 2008-2009 time period, there really was not anything. And it was a very DIY, like I'm on my own trying to figure this out mentality, <laughs> which is why I think so many businesses like yours and mine that were building community and, and making it you know this amazing thing came out of that era. Because I think we all were experiencing <laughs> the same things. Um, so are you, do you currently mentor anyone? Um, or do you consider like, you know, what you're doing basically as like a broader mentorship? Yeah. So I, I do take on one or two people or founders a year to kind of mentor and help. The last example was, um, I mentored someone who started a company called Concrete Geometric and she is still doing fantastic to this day years later and has expanded her company, which I get so much um, value from just personally seeing someone like that grow. But kind of like the work that you do, I really try to make myself available to more people. So it's not that typical mentor relationship, really. What I do is I create these small conferences and opportunities for people to learn from me and talk with me. Um, and then I started a podcast, SOS with Sonia Rasula, and I'm starting another podcast in a few weeks that will be me talking with lots of other great founders of other companies. So I feel like putting the content out there is kind of a great way to mentor way more people than I ever could one-on-one. -on -one. Totally. Yeah. And I, I think that's a great way to put it. Yeah. It, and I think, you know, when it comes to mentorship, it really is about finding the people, like you said, that are in it with you. Because I think right now, and especially right now, we're all navigating this new normal, this new digital world. Um, you know, previously, you know, there, there wasn't a lot of people that you can lean on from an entrepreneurship perspective or look up to that were a female doing this. So last year you joined alongside myself, the MasterCards Women Business Council Advisory to help empower and advise the small business community, as well as help MasterCard Insure Solutions continue to meet the evolving needs of this segment. So what advice do you have for those that are looking to secure their business and focus on the future? And do you think it's important to work with partners like MasterCard to deliver on small business needs? Yeah. I mean, I think that it's so, it's so interesting because you and I keep going back to the same themes. I think that most entrepreneurs have in their gut already this drive, this feeling of, I'm going to make this happen no matter what. So I think that for those listening who have that feeling and have that, that drive that, and that passion that just like, it's a voice in your head that won't stop. I say, follow that and just go with it because nine times out of 10, it's those people whose, whose companies last from what I've seen over the last 12 years. I've worked with 
I think over 11,000 small businesses at this point, but MasterCard, lenders, banks, funding is obviously incredibly important. And I think that it's important to 100% take the time to research what is available to you and even research articles on how to start a business, the different funding options. You know, you can go to a website like MasterCard and there is a wealth of articles. And I feel like people, when they're just starting, don't even think to do that. They're just, they have the dream, it's in their head and they just start moving forward. But it's 100% worth your time to pause, check out some websites, research the different options that are available because there's information out there that you may have never thought of. And I wish, honestly, I wish that I had done that when I started, but I didn't, I just moved forward. (laughs) We're the same too in that regard too, because I think we both self-funded our companies. And, you know, we both talk about how, like when we started again in that early day, in those early days, it's like, I didn't even realize you could raise money. And you've said the same thing before (laughs) too. It was like, we just were like, we have to bootstrap this and figure it out, which probably has made us scrappier and smarter entrepreneurs for the long haul. Um, But at the same time, you know, I think there is a lot of interesting things when it comes to the money that you can take on. There's, you know, small business loans, there's, you know, crowdfunding, there's raising money, there's venture, there's angels, there's all these different things now that, you know, you and I were like, didn't know existed. So that being said, what are some of the biggest mistakes you've made along the way? And what were some of the lessons that you've learned from them? Oh my God. Well, the first one has to do with money. (laughs) I use my 401k to start the business, which, you know, I probably would not recommend to anyone else to do. (laughs) I was lucky in that from day one, we made money. I'm, but that's a very rare example. I would say that you should definitely think about the amount of money that you think you're going to need, not just to start the business, but to sustain yourself for one year. A lot of small businesses that I work with get enough money together to like start the business. And then I talk to them and I'm like, well, what about four months from now? If you're still creating your products and starting to design your website, you're not selling anything for the next four months. So like, have you thought about that? And the number of times that they're like, oh shit, no, is is shocking. It's the majority. So I would say you need to think about how much money you need, not just for now and to start, but for a year down the road. I also think that one of the mistakes I made was to not pay myself. I don't think I started paying myself until maybe two years in. Mm. And... It's just, I don't know why we do that, but you know, you're like a small business owner and you're scrappy and you're also scared. So you just put everything into the business account. But I think that it's really important to value yourself and the time and energy that you're putting towards the business. And so you definitely need to have a line item there and make sure to pay yourself for everything you're doing. Aside from the money stuff, I think the biggest mistakes have been with not leadership, but I would say, probably with hiring. Mm -hmm. Um, I know you (laughs) understand this as well. Yes. Yes. And I, you know, I read the books, (laughs) I went online and I researched, but at the end of the day, I made the same mistakes that all, that so many other business owners say that they made as well. And it's just that, you know, 
when you start to be successful, you then need other people and you start to hire. And that's the sweet spot of having a business. It's amazing to be able to support other human beings and their families and their livelihood. That is a privilege. And I am very grateful and honored to have that privilege. But what comes with hiring is also sometimes the realization that you have not trusted your gut sometimes and that you've hired the wrong people. And that is a heartbreaking process to go through. And, you know, if I'm a Pisces, so for me, it was very emotional every single time. Oh, yeah. but, but it's very financially damaging to the business. You know, every time you make a bad hire, you have to start all over again. You've also brought someone into the company whose energy impacts yep. everyone else's. <laughs> It's a very dangerous game. And I think it's, it's very hard. Cause I think that's exactly right. Because it's a personal toll, which is like, you normally don't figure out someone's a good fit until three to six months in. And then from yeah. a financial perspective, those three to six months, whatever their salary is, that is the cost. It is the, the cost financially it's costed you, but also the opportunity cost of your time and energy and training. And yeah. then there's the personal energy cost of the energy that they've put out into the company, which might not have been good or affected other people's vibe at the company. And, and it's hard because when that's all going down, you still have to run the company. So, so <laughs> it, it's very, we've talked about this a lot, but I think hiring is the most challenging part of the business and scaling and growing. Yeah, absolutely. And I would say like my best advice for that problem, if people are listening right now and, and they are in a similar boat, you have to get that person out immediately because the, the bad energy and the toxic effect and impact of someone who is not a good fit is really like unknown. And it's pretty crazy how fast a toxic personality or just someone who's just culturally not a good fit, how fast they can impact the rest of the team. Absolutely. And as a small business, it's really challenging because you also don't have the luxury and option sometimes of having an HR team that's going to be able to monitor this type of thing. Or, you know, the time, frankly, you know, where everyone's in such a fast, fast, fast pace moving world um, where, you know, not only are you the founder of the business, but you're the face of the business as well. Mm -hmm. um, where that can be really challenging. So I appreciate you sharing that because I think it's something that a lot of people um, have been asking questions about. So in terms of having unique, having it for this, this long amount of time, what would you say is a piece of advice you'd give someone who's starting out tomorrow to start their first business? Yeah, I would say, number one, absolutely trust your gut. And it see, that seems like a very <laughs> simple thing to say, but there's just so much noise in the world and everyone has an opinion. And especially when you're starting out and starting a new business. And really, if you're starting to do something that most people don't understand, the opinions are going to come at you from every which direction. And I really think it's important as a founder and someone who's starting a business to trust your gut and believe in yourself and your capabilities. I think to second guess, to start to listen to other people creates too much noise in your head. So I really think that you should, you should keep your head down. Only you truly understand not just your capabilities and the experience that you're bringing to the company that you're starting, but you are the only person who understands your vision 100%. 
especially at the beginning when it really could just be you. Um, and so I'd say as you start to grow, as you start to expand the business, you need to stick to that vision, that original vision, and make sure that you're executing. Because I just think that too often people allow other their opinions and then it's no longer yours. It's no longer what you wanted to, to do in the world. And so let's talk about, you know, where we're at in a COVID-19 world. Um, I mean, I think very much what you said at the beginning of our conversation, when you're like, prepare for three to four months, like, you know, where you're potentially not making money and you're launching your website. And I think that's amazing advice. I think, and that would be like a standard piece of advice you'd give any business owners, like prepare three to four months down the road. No one, I think, ever could have predicted or fathomed what we're going through today. And knowing that you and I have both started businesses that are community driven, that are experientially driven. How have you shifted um, you know, your focus now that we're in this new normal and how has it impacted your business? Yeah. Oh, well, <laughs> um, it's been a very interesting month. I think that the new normal for us is sitting still and pausing we are we're actually taking this time to try and just analyze how we want to move forward i've seen a lot of other companies pivot really quickly which is amazing for them but at the end of the day i started unique markets because i wanted to get people offline <laughs> so for me i've been struggling with how can we help and cultivate community in a way that still feels really genuine and energetic and inspiring online when for the past 12 years, we've done it in person. So we are still as a team coming up with ideas for what the future may look like. The future will absolutely change. It, the past is the past. I don't, but you know, it's gonna be a whole new world. And we will never go back to where we were in January. And so while we're thinking about ways to go online and to create new paths of revenue, really, we're also trying to just pause. And it's funny because I think all entrepreneurs, it's always like, oh, if I just had like an extra few hours a day, or if I could just get a week off to work on this thing, we're now actually... We, we have the time now to work on some of the things that we had always wanted to, like perfecting our presentation decks and archiving the massive amounts of like video footage and content and photography. And so as a company, we're actually taking the time to kind of archive and perfect things that no one else ever sees except for us. And then we're going to start launching some exciting live events. Not what people are probably expecting, which is like, can you please do a virtual fair? We are not going to do a virtual fair. (laughs) But um, I think part of my role as a leader for the community of small business owners and people who really believe in the power of creativity is to inspire people to be creative and tap into their creativity. So that's kind of where we're going to be taking the company in the future. And then We're really still planning for all of our in-person markets and we're figuring out how to change them and alter them and looking to the government and the leadership there on um, 
you know, when we're able to do experiential mm-hmm. gatherings, you know, how, how does that look? How do we change things? And, and potentially, you know, what supplies will we be offering? Are we going to partner with someone who makes masks? Are we going to partner with someone who makes like cool gloves that can be recycled? Like these are the things that we're actually looking at now. Yep. Uh, (laughs) um, Yeah. I mean, I think it's just so crazy to think, like you said, in January, in in March, in early March. Yeah, early March. (laughs) Never could have anyone predicted what what we're looking at today and shifting and and becoming the new normal. But I I think you and I are in the same boat where we say, I, I feel very strongly that experiential will come back even bigger and better and different mm-hmm. um, because that experience, whether you're at a concert, whether you're buying something from a small business owner for your mom at Unique Markets, whether you're at a Create and Cultivate conference, trying to figure out your next move in your career, those are, I mean, priceless moments, frankly, mm-hmm. that you can't get that. Ex- there's nothing like that feeling of being with your community and getting that information in a beautiful, fun IRL way. And I think that that will come back even bigger and better, albeit very different than what we've been experiencing in the past. So definitely agree with you on all of that. So looking forward, so one of the things I want to talk about, you know, we've talked a little bit about money is what is your priceless money tip for small business owners? You know, maybe in this moment and maybe previous to this moment. um, But if, for your small business owners and makers and things that are out there right now, kind of trying to figure out what to do, what would be your financial advice to them? Yeah, I think there's a few different things. I think one, save, (laughs) save, save, save. I think people forget how easy it is to save. So I think it takes some diligence to just look at your bank statements. I think it's a really eye-opening thing that people can do look at your bank statements before COVID-19 and see all the different areas where you were spending money and not really consciously spending money. So I did that as a business owner and it really opened my eyes to how much we had on auto subscription. We had like all these different subscriptions to things that I never even paid attention to. And so, it, you know, it may be $100 here, $100 there, but that money adds up. And then I think this idea of it's it's so hard to like talk about with small business owners because we really do hang on to every penny but i think that the saying you have to spend money to make money is true and a lot of small business owners don't understand online marketing and advertising and i think that those could be huge factors for bringing in more income and revenue for small businesses. So I also feel like in this time where you may have some extra hours in every day or every week, it would be really smart for business owners to start researching and educating themselves on online advertising and marketing. Because to be perfectly honest, when we're allowed to go back to so-called normal um, in the future, you should be ready to be the first out of the gate. And I think that spending money at that point is going to help your business tremendously. But most small business owners 
aren't really educated. So educate yourself on that um, and then be willing to carve out a little bit for like marketing and advertising and actually spend it. It's hard to let go of that money, especially Mm -hmm. when you haven't made money over the last few months. But I think it's really important to take it seriously. And as soon as the gate opens, you're like the first one out. Yeah, 100%. And I totally agree. I think paid marketing is an amazing channel um, to kind of explore. And I think it is scary to your point to not know if you're going to be making money, if you're throwing this money into the abyss. But there is a way where you can be spending money and making even more money than what you're spending and getting out there and creating new customers. So I think this is a great time. Like you said, you're you're looking through your old decks. You're coming up with all this amazing content. It's also a great time to think about how can you increase your email list, increase your followers and engagement? Like what is the difference that you're seeing by commenting on three posts a day? Like what are those little things that you can be doing daily to help increase your brand visibility during this time? So when it comes to remaining optimistic, I think that's something I'd love. You're always, you know, a total optimist. You've been doing this very long time. How are you remaining optimistic these days? And how are you keeping your team motivated? Yeah, so... I am the type of personality that is probably overly optimistic at times. And I think that's because I look to a couple of things to guide me. And one of those things is a thought from Buddhism, which is that the only constant is change. And I'm not, (laughs) I'm not a practicing a Buddhist myself, but my mom has always been active in that community. And so I think, I don't know if I was a teenager when I read that at some point, but it's kind of stuck with me throughout my life, the mantra of, if you can accept that change is the only constant, then you're ready for anything. And you're also not disappointed with anything. And so that's one of the things that I'm really looking at now with the way that the world is hurting and changing and businesses are hurting and changing. I think that we all have to just remember that, you know, the universe, the earth, our cities, our neighborhoods, none of this is ours. We don't own anything and we really shouldn't expect anything. And so I keep that in my head at all times. And I think it's helped me the last few weeks for sure. And then as an entrepreneur, like see what happens. Totally. And I love that advice. I think it's so important to roll with change, but also fight for what you believe in. And I I couldn't agree more. So are you taking advantage of any of the resources, whether it's a government stimulus package, are you tapping into any of that um, to help you out? Is there any resources that small business owners can look into from that perspective that you're familiar with? Yeah. I mean, there's so many. So you're familiar, obviously, with um, Hello Alice. And so They have so many great resources and and articles that can help entrepreneurs at this point, but they're also doing a lot of small business grants. So that's, that's one of the resources that I've looked to and have been recommending that other people look to. I know that Facebook is going to be distributing millions and millions of dollars worth of grants, but then also free advertising. So again, everyone out there should be kind of familiarizing themselves with like how to utilize Facebook's advertising and apply for those grants. I think that like a simple search 
like on our website, on uniquemarkets.com, on our blog, we have a whole list of all the different resources for small businesses that are out there. I myself have applied for a couple of the SBA loans, very specifically the Paycheck Protection Plan. And so we'll see. But I also know that millions of other small businesses are applying for the same thing. Mm -hmm. So I'm not counting on that. And I also think that this is just my personal belief as a business owner, but I don't like borrowing money. Like I don't love it. I will, but I don't love it. Um, (laughs) I'm the same way. Yeah. Like I'd rather figure out anything and try everything before accepting money. So I, you know, if I get those loans, that's awesome. But I'm also like, I'm a Canadian. This this is funny because I'm both Canadian and American. So I have a healthy I don't know if it's pessimism towards government, but (laughs) I'm definitely looking at the language and I I would say this, the language for the small business administration loans is interesting. And when it comes down to it, the Paycheck Protection Program, those loans say that they can be forgiven, not that they will be forgiven. And I think that's an important distinction to make and that it's up to the lender. And at the end of the day, the lenders are going to make those decisions. So again, I'm, I've applied for those loans. If I get them, that's great. But I'm also trying not to potentially need them because I don't want to spend the money and then go to the lender and have them say, actually, mm-hmm. you know, we're not going to forgive you. And now you owe us $20,000. So I'm trying to figure out Um, how to make money in other ways. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Definitely reading between the lines and there is a lot of confusion and there is Mm -hmm. a lot of of confusion on both ends from the people applying, from the banks themselves. So being, being, uh, you know, cautious, uh, cautiously optimistic about these (laughs) programs, I think is the best way to approach it. So (laughs) we're going to wrap with some rapid fire. Are you ready? Yes. (laughs) Okay. A priceless moment in my career is when I was on the cover of a magazine. I remember which magazine was it? <laughs> uh, well, okay. It's, you know, it's not as exciting as it sounds, but it was the cover of Southwest Airlines magazine. But the cool thing was that it was in the month of March, which is when everyone flies to Austin for South by Southwest. So literally millions of people saw my face on the cover of that magazine, which was awesome. That's amazing. I mean, don't downplay it. That's a big deal. And I I feel like it's like, I think I had a mention in Southwest Magazine and like more people from high school texted me about that than like anything else. So that's huge. Um, Okay. Being an entrepreneur is? Rewarding. And challenging. (laughs) Rewarding and challenging. Um, Real mentorship is? Giving back in any and every way possible. When I'm feeling burnt out, I... Definitely watch TV and eat popcorn. Mm, Yes. (laughs) And success to me is... Being happy and proud of what it is that I'm doing and creating. Amazing. Thank you so much, Sonia. This was awesome. Thank you. Have you bought your copy of Work Party the Book? 
part career manifesto, part practical business advice, Work Party the Book is everything I wish I knew during my early years as an entrepreneur. The ups, the downs, the things I learned and the women that helped me to make it happen. Just like in our podcast, Work Party the Book does not shy away from the nitty gritty details you need to know. If you hope to start your own business or become the HBIC at your current gig, we're here to help you out. Available in hardcover and audiobook on Amazon, also on iBooks at Target and your local bookstore. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Work Party, the podcast. If you felt inspired and learned something new, let us know in a review on iTunes and check us out on social at Work Party. For every episode, we have downloadable resources available on workparty.com so you can put these tips and tools into action for your own business. Thanks again for listening. And as always, work hard, party on.